0: I am Cindy Jones. I am so delighted to be with you today and share a little from God's word. And I'm just so excited for Pastor Mark to be on the other side of his surgery. And we're all just so excited for that, right? So we're, we're prayerful, but we're also just so pumped for him to be on the other side of this and running with full strength. So um, we will be, of course, holding him in prayer at Catalyst. So that's where I'm coming from um, We Are Your Church Plant in White Bear Lake. We meet at the YMCA, so we're doing the community center thing like you guys. And if you were here last week, you did see my husband, Corey. He was bringing the word. So, and we have three kids, um, Kai, Coley, and Cade, 14, 11, and 7. So that's right, two preacher parents for my children. So you can pray for them. That is, <laughs> that's a lot for them, but... Um, But we are continuing on today in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, and as you've probably been discovering, this is not necessarily this feel-good, easy teaching. It calls us to something beautiful and sacrificial and world-changing as we listen to these words of Jesus. So, I'm going to be bringing in some different quotes from people that I've been reading this week. There's so many good things written about the Sermon on the Mount for many scholars. So you'll hear me quote quite a few people this morning. It's just been a pleasure to dive into these verses. We're going to be in Matthew 5:38 through 48, if you, if you want to go there. But we will um, have it on the screen as well. But before we do jump into those verses, I want to share a story because we're talking about justice today. These verses that I have for you are about justice and fairness and kingdom living. And this news story that I saw pretty recently, maybe just a few months ago, has really stuck with me. I want to share it with you because it has some of these themes of justice and mercy. So a woman, Sarah, and her daughter were shopping at... The Woodbury Walmart, and at the self checkout, she realized that she did not have enough money to cover everything. But she really wanted to get these steaks for her family, and it's a big family of eight. And she had promised the kids steaks, so she just slid the steaks into the bag at the self checkout without without ringing them and. She was stopped on the way out by employees, and the Woodbury police was called, and she was issued a citation. So just a sad deal, right? Well, later that day, that officer, Brian, showed up to Sarah's home, and Sarah was terrified. I mean, she was questioning if she was going to be facing further charges or held in custody or what was going on, why this officer would be at her house. So, Brian rang the doorbell, and what was with him in the squad was a car full of food. So he had stopped by the local food shelf, loaded his car up, and looked up Sarah and Danielle. I mean, the officer was just struck by this situation. Maybe it was the daughter, Danielle, crying at the store, or the fact that the stolen merchandise was food, but Brian felt moved to follow up. And at first, Sarah refused it. Um, She didn't think she deserved it after what she had done, but Brian was able to talk sense into her that theft that day was the only thing on her record ever. And he not only brought her food, he followed up with Walmart to remove that charge and the citation from her record. So, turned out that Officer Brian and Sarah were able to share some stories of difficult life circumstances as he sat at her home that day. Sarah's husband, the provider for their large family, had passed away 15 years prior to that, and the life insurance had run out and the bills were closing in. For Brian, his squad had been hit by a tow truck a few years back. He was actually only back to work part-time because of a brain injury. So, One of the coolest things of this story is that now Sarah and Brian volunteer at that food shelf together. So just what a beautiful story of justice and restoration. I mean, as we think about love of enemy, as we're going to talk about today, um, it just kind of blows your mind. I mean, you stole food. Okay, I'll stop by later with a car full of food for you. I'll become your friend and I'll serve alongside you at a food shelf. So how do we get to this place of being Christ-centered and open-handed and generous when it comes to what we deserve, what we earned? How do we learn to offer mercy? Now, we follow a God of justice. There is no doubt there. But what motivates Christ followers to lay down maybe what is owed to us for the sake of others? We are going to read this groundbreaking teaching from Jesus today on justice. And I know every week you are hearing that this is like wow information, right? But this teaching truly is um, a, a beautiful new thing that Jesus is saying and proclaiming. So we know that God has always been a God of justice. In the Old Testament, we see that played out in so many ways. When he freed his people from slavery, when he created all these laws to foster justice, he spoke words of justice through the prophets to be there for the poor and the oppressed and the widowed. When Jesus came, he pushed humanity to this God-sized view of justice, a justice shaped by the gospel, something that for Jesus was so much more than a teaching, but a way of life and a path of death for him on our behalf. This teaching on justice is possible because of the promise of God's Spirit in us, right? We need God in us to do this. And with that background, we are going to jump into our verses today. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 38, we're going to take this first section here. "'You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also.' And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So verse 38, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The hearers that were listening to Jesus might have thought back to Exodus 21, 23 through 25, which said, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Or they may have thought back on other verses that they would have known, Leviticus 24, 19 and 20, Deuteronomy 19, 21. Those would have been familiar words. In the law of the Old Testament, these punishments were supposed to be equal to the crime. And this principle of equal retribution would have actually been meant to curb violence and prevent vengeance from escalating. So we can kind of see how God was taking care of his people. And and then as we read into 39 through 42, we read Jesus giving them four examples on how to behave in the face of an unjust or evil situation. And these four examples are concrete examples for his hearers. Um, to us, they, they feel kind of broad and uh, maybe kind of poetic. But for them, it would have cut deep on what it meant to show mercy to their enemies, like uh, the Roman authority. So let me explain that a little bit. So verse 9, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So this slap on the right cheek, this is associated with being insulted in a really significant way. So a slap to the right cheek would have been assumed as a backhanded slap, meaning like contempt, disdain, um, almost communicating that someone was nothing. Um, The assumption here could be that this sort of disdain for a backhanded slap could have been Jesus' followers taking heat for being Jesus' followers, um, taking an insult for like supposedly being a heretic. And the Jews could have actually sought out legal damages for such an insult like that, but Jesus was telling them to bear with the insult, to overcome it. So that kind of helps us understand what this turn-the-other-cheek um, situation may have been. The second offense is being sued in court, verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Well, a person's robe then was a jacket, but also a blanket for sleeping. And it was a law to... That this could not be taken from an Israelite at any time. So in this instance, the person sues for what's legal, which would have been the shirt. But Jesus goes back to get to ask them to give the jacket as well. So this was this was a sacrifice of basic needs that Jesus was calling them to in this one. The third offense in verse 41: If anyone forces you to go a mile, go two would have, the hearers would have thought about the Roman army and being asked to go along and help. So like almost being conscripted to support something that was happening militarily. So for example, a Roman soldier could approach you and demand transportation for a mile. And Jesus said, take them two miles. Okay. So finally, Jesus says to not demand back what one loans another. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus was elevating a grace ethic over this court payment of offenses system that happened in the, in the, under Rome, okay? So he's elevating this sense of, you know what, we're going to do things differently in the kingdom. In these examples, Jesus is just upending this show no pity thing that was going on or kind of the retribution um he was saying nope we are going to we're going to show mercy and since these examples are um really cut to the heart for his hearers the the, the people who heard this would have been thinking of like ooh i don't want to do that i don't want to show mercy to them in that way i don't want to show mercy to them in that way it's maybe a little scary for us to think about in our time and context, what Jesus might have asked of us to show mercy. um, Just think about, like, someone cutting us off in traffic. Jesus might have said, follow them to their destination and make sure they're okay. Um, Someone steals your idea at a work meeting, and you're like, great idea. (laughs) Um, Maybe your kid changes the radio station to something you hate, and you're like, turn it up. I mean, There are so many ways that we feel wronged or, you know, like we should be able to get justice in this situation every day. But God might be asking us to show this ethic of mercy and grace for his kingdom. So Jesus is setting the stage for a way to live um, that needed concrete examples, but also some big picture meaning. I want to read to you a quote from um, Scott McKnight. And he said, this text is a messianic ethic for the messianic community and an ethic from beyond. Instead of the requirement of retribution, Jesus reveals that grace, love, and forgiveness can reverse the dangers of retribution even more, create an alternative society. It's a constitution for kingdom society. So, Interestingly, this ethic is not completely absent in the Old Testament. You can look at Leviticus 19.18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there, that's in the Old Testament. Also, Proverbs 24.29, Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. God had waited for this time in the first century to these people to really usher in in fullness this way of living. And in his work, Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Jesus releases his community from the political and the legal order, from the national form of the people of Israel and makes it into what it truly is, namely the community of the faithful that is not bound by political or national ties. So I think the tension for us can be thinking of these verses, maybe um, holding them too tightly or legalistically, or the other end of it, holding them like too metaphorically. So if we take them too legalistically, we might make them into laws, making it impossible for the harm. To in our society to receive justice in some situations? Is this telling us to never have a lawsuit? Should stolen items never be prosecuted? I mean, it kind of raises some of those questions. But on the other hand, if we ease off these commands as merely broad strokes that just promote virtues like generosity and humility, maybe we have robbed them of their radical nature. So, this kind of leaves us with this not-so-easy lesson on how to live out justice. Um, this was said about about these verses. Um, this is an N.T. Wright quote. This sermon isn't just about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love outside, outside, that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. All right, well, with that, we're going we're gonna to keep going, okay? I know that this is um, it's kind of a no-easy-answers passage that just calls us to something radical. Um, verse 43, "'You have heard it was said, "'Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, "'but I tell you, love your enemies "'and pray for those who persecute you, "'that you may be children of your Father in heaven.'" If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. Verse 43, you've heard it say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So the enemy, as we've been talking about for the audience that Jesus was talking to, was Rome. And Jesus was establishing a family rule, like a family of God culture. And that was that everyone deserves love and everyone deserves prayer and even your enemies and those who persecute you. This is our family identity as children of God. This is how people are going to know who we are. And the lesson on justice continues, because he says that in God's infinite grace, there will be blessings and there will be hardships for the righteous and the unrighteous. So um, that must have been maybe difficult for them to receive, people who were trying to strive so hard to live rightly and follow Jesus. All of a sudden this grace of God was so big that even some of the unrighteous people were going to receive blessing in this kingdom economy. And then he gets at some of their motivations. He really's digging in here. Are you loving people that will that will love you back? Are you only greeting your own people? The comfortable convenient option? And then he just tops it off with this, be perfect. No problem, right? Therefore, as your father is perfect. Wow. Okay. So what is meant by perfect? I wanted to look into this a little bit. I did look at the Greek word teleos that is used here. Um, Can mean brought to its end, finished, um, kind of the consummate human value and virtue. I mean, it sounds to me like God is asking us to be working this out with him, this Not the connotation that we've arrived at perfect, but that the spirit is with us working out perfect. And if we look at this teaching in Luke's gospel, so you can look at Luke 6, Luke records this, the kind of, this is kind of like the exclamation point right on this, like this Jesus drops the bomb on like, okay, you're going to love your enemies. I'm going to bless like righteous, unrighteous. He says all these things and then be perfect. In the Luke record, it says, be merciful as your father is merciful. So, so interesting. This idea of be perfect, this, it's, it's at work. God is finishing it with us. God is working this out, this mercy, this love. So in the, in the old context, so go thinking of the Old Testament before Jesus, to be perfect is to follow all the law in this new context Jesus is saying like especially if you think about like Matthew 22 34 through 40 um, that the Torah and the prophets hang on two commands to love God and to love one's neighbor as themselves so this whole idea of what it used to mean to be perfect following every law now Jesus is saying love God love neighbor this is the this is the rhythm of walking this is this is what it means to live perfect. This is what it lives to live in a merciful way and to unleash justice in the world. I found this quote helpful from Scott McKnight: "Be perfect." And this is what he's—he's he's paraphrasing this. He says, "Be perfect." That is, love both your fellow Jewish neighbors and the Roman enemies in your midst. As your father makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on all humans, Jews and Romans, so you are to be perfect in love as your father is perfect in love. And I thought that paraphrase was helpful. So how do we live in these rhythms of love and mercy and justice? Um, I know as I read this, I just wanted to check my own heart on what it meant To love my neighbors. And I think these these are a few helpful questions we can ask. Do I love people only on my terms? Do I love people only if it's comfortable, if it's convenient, if it's cheap? Do I love people only if there's benefit to me? How people will view me? Who will notice it? Am I willing to love people? No one would know that no one would even notice or recognize. It's going to be hard things to unearth in ourselves. I mean, Jesus was the master at loving enemies, right? You can just think back through the Gospels and just be amazed at how Jesus loved enemies so well. He shared the table with sinners and tax collectors He hung out with a Samaritan woman that other Jewish people would have avoided. He made the Samaritans that were hated in his his culture, he made them the heroes in his stories. He even brought Romans close by healing the Roman centurion, centurion servant and also doing ministry with Johanna, the wife of the manager of Herod's household. So all these people that would have maybe seemed like other or enemy or no way, not getting close to them, Jesus was bringing them in. He was ministering to them. He was ministering alongside them. He was equipping them to be the carriers of the message. So how does this inspire us, like a next step for us? How do we turn enemies into neighbors? So I have a few thoughts one is to name them, to really think about, well, who are the enemies in my life? Maybe that I haven't even realized, because I think most of us would say, I don't have any enemies. Um, but then if we think through just our day-to-day, um, maybe think about just over even the course of the last year, who are some people that have just really like, annoyed you or you've avoided or maybe we've made stereotypes in our heads about, who knows? And then, so to name them, and then the next step would be to pray for them, as this passage calls us, actually spending time in prayer and prioritizing it. And then to listen to them, which means talking to them, which can be difficult. And that is also going to mean making time in our lives, like making space to be in places with people that might be our perceived enemy or someone that we just necessarily maybe don't necessarily want to be with, um, and then to serve them. And this flows from listening, putting love into action. So as we, as we pray for them, as we listen, we can know ways that we can serve them. Um, and even allowing ourselves to be served by them, which sometimes can be even harder to receive something from somebody that maybe it's hard for us to get along with. Um, so I want to share a story. Um, another one, this is a story of Jared McKenna. And this is something that happened to him when he was 18 years old. And at the time of this incident that I'm going to share with you, he was getting off a train in Australia. And it, so he was studying this passage actually, because he was, um, Taking some coursework about Martin Luther King Jr. and is reading about this kind of ethic of kingdom justice, and he was crossing over an overpass and he heard somebody running up fast and yell something, and it sounded like money. So he reached into his pocket and grabbed out his wallet, kind of prepping to give somebody money for the train. But as he turned, this guy came at him with a fist in the other hand like in his pocket like he was going to grab something and he screamed at him, give me your money. And Jared remembers just in that moment the, I'm either going to fight this guy or I'm going to run impulse. But then because he was studying this passage in um, Martin Luther King Jr., he had this echo in his mind, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you. So Jared felt this sense of God's peace. He felt grounded. He felt unafraid, which, right, this is a God thing, right? Because this would have been so scary. Um, He did have $10 in his wallet, but instead of just handing the guy the money, he reached out his hand and he said, I'm Jared. His attacker James reached out his hand and as he did Jared could notice just scarring on his arm and all of a sudden the awful stench of James as they had this personal encounter. And in a fluster James said he was sorry but he was just in this bad way. He'd been in treatment but then he had been kicked out and he was just desperate. He was back on the street. And at that moment this young woman like races between them yelling at James to run. So Jared just had a minute. He reached into his backpack, pulls out a New Testament that he had, gave it to James, and James yelled at him, why do I need a Bible? I am going to hell Jared encouraged James, like, just in a sentence or two, that that's why Jesus came. He came for all of us that were headed to hell. He gave us eternal life, and he gave us the promise of eternal life, and he just, you know, just in a sentence or two tried to share that. James started crying, like, right there, and Jared didn't know what to do, um, so he just kind of stood there, but James did take the Bible, and he ran to meet that girl who had rush through them. And so James jumped into the car with her, and Jared could still hear what was happening. It was not that far from them, and he could hear the girl yelling, I got a bag, like she must have stolen a bag at the train station. And he could hear James yell, I got a Bible. And it's just amazing to look back at this and recognize that God gave Jared the peace to act in a compassionate way to his enemy in that situation. Something so striking that it brought James to the end of himself and it opened up his heart to what God might have been pursuing. I'm sure God was pursuing James, pursuing James, pursuing James. But in that moment, he opened his heart, he broke down, he cried. We never know what circumstances God may strengthen us, to move in a loving way toward a neighbor, even an enemy. But we can pray that this will be the spreading of God's kingdom here on earth as we open ourselves up to these sorts of moments. So another quote, this is Joachim, Joachim Jeremias, a theologian and writer. What Jesus teaches in the sayings collected in the Sermon on the Mount is not a complete regulation of the life of the disciples. It's not intended to be. Rather, what is taught here is symptoms and signs, examples of what it means when the kingdom of God breaks into the world, which is still under sin, death, and the devil. You yourself should be the signs of the coming kingdom of God. Signs that something is already happening. So in this revolutionary teaching on justice, Jesus is setting up this kingdom economy. And I know we talk a lot about the kingdom here at Pursuit. The world economy was, you love me, I love you. You hurt me, I hurt you. You wrong me, you're going to get wronged back. To share the gospel, Jesus was setting the stage for a kingdom economy where God would love his people without their earning it or deserving it. The road Jesus was on, as he was giving this sermon, he was on his way to giving his life. A sacrificial love, giving more than he was going to get in return. He was teaching sacrificial love that he would demonstrate right? So much more than a teaching. He was going to demonstrate this on the cross, that enemies of God could become friends of God. Jesus' death and resurrection is what we are going to be celebrating as we approach Easter. The God of all mercy and justice has showed us mercy in his gift of love to us. That is what hits deep in our hearts and the spirit that enlivens us to be present to those moments where we can act in these ways. How beautiful that the God of justice is unleashing justice on earth through his followers as we live in the power of the spirit. Let me pray for us in this Oh God, we, we need your help in this walk of justice to live your ways in this world. We just think about your path to the cross. God, as we approach Easter, we think about your death for us. God, how you were willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could have eternal life with you. Just the ultimate demonstration of love. God, we pray that that love would so infect our own lives that we couldn't help but extend mercy and grace and justice to those around us. But Jesus, give us wisdom on what this looks like. It is not always gonna be clear what the just thing is. God, would you help us to move in ways where we can show sacrificial love at the right times? God, would you help us make us aware of who our enemies are. We might feel like we don't have any. God, help us to be more aware of people in our life that we can show a radical love, that we can show your mercy for the sake of your kingdom growing. God, we just thank you for your mercy on us. Help us to live that way in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.